0: Welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast. First time we've been back in the studio here in a while. I think I feel like I say that a lot, but it's true. It feels like we go like a month at a time and we have to do these remotely or we're doing with other people, but it's good to see your smiling face again, <laughs> Mike Carmen.
1: I don't know if I'm smiling, but.
0: Uh... I guess I should introduce myself. So long. I'm Nathan Baird. Introduce myself to you. I'm Nathan Baird. Yes. I cover Purdue I haven't, basketball. I haven't here. seen you in a while. You haven't. I've been uh, all over the place. And he's Mike Carmen. He covers Purdue football. And. That's what we're here to talk about today. Um, Not really a beautiful sunny day outside today here in Lafayette. On the Monday that we're recording this, I drove through um, a storm that would have made Noah proud on the way up here to Lafayette today. But uh, summer is ending. Fall is starting soon, and that means preseason camp is about to break. We don't know what day yet. Purdue hasn't officially rolled out the schedule. We believe it's Thursday uh, is the the official start of camp this year. And – I, Mike, probably uh, raring to go, ready to get some, ready for to, to, to transfer from the speculative things that we have to write about as sports uh, season's approach to actually what you start seeing again with your eyes.
1: Yeah, we believe that practice will start Thursday, even though we have not seen an official schedule yet. And that may or may not be open to the public. So follow jconline.com. Yeah. We'll pass that information. Yeah. Along. I'm anticipating the schedule being out <laughs> within the next 24 hours. I think last year they put it out two days before camp started. So for all, all those people that were making plans to, <laughs> to, to come come watch. And, you know, I think there's a lot of interest. And it would behoove the football program to get that information out quicker because there is a lot of interest in what this team is doing and what this program is doing. And people, giving them when you give them an opportunity to come watch, they're going to do it. Um, and they're, they're just excited. And you need to feed that a little bit but pulling back off the soapbox of how, how they should do things. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, camp's gonna start. Players report on uh, Wednesday. Uh, from what I, what I understand, everybody's here. Everybody's been here throughout the summer. Um, you always have a few injury uh, questions. Uh, not everybody probably will be out there on Thursday for a variety of reasons, uh, but for the most part, it you know, includes the freshman class. Um, and then the returning guys, you know Purdue should have its uh, full roster ready to go.
0: you know I, I that's a really good point about you know, kind of maybe using this as a way to further stoke interest in the program because there are a lot of programs that where the fan base gets no access to the team like that, and it's good that Purdue is giving people access like that uh, under previous administrations you know under Her- Daryl Hazel, you could come out and watch basically beginning to end of, of one of those practices, and we had to throughout the season. As um, time
1: went on, he didn't want to do that anymore.
0: Right. Well, and about halfway through <laughs> that last year, they told us that wasn't going to happen anymore. But um, it, it is an opportunity, I think, for fans to get to sort of see a little bit behind the curtain, um, and I think you're right. I think Purdue would be smart to you know be really proactive about that and use it as a way to further kind of build some interest in this program.
1: Yeah, and I just think it's a missed opportunity. They've, they've, uh, you know, we appreciate the openness. You, you know, from a media standpoint, and also just the general public in general. I think fans appreciate that they it is open. They can come and see Rondell Moore for themselves in a non-game situation, right. just in practice. Um, and, you know, now. You know, they, they can come and see a George Karloftis and a David Bell and Milton Wright and uh, Stephen Fechow and Marvin Grant and some of these other uh, freshmen that, you know, we've been writing about and talking about for many, many months. And they can come see for themselves, okay, yes, this program is different. They have bigger bodies. They're more athletic. They, they do different things than what they did uh, two or three years ago. And I, I think it, just, it adds to your credibility a little bit more, too, where – if you just read about someone or just listen uh, or someone's just talking about someone, then you get out there and you watch them on a game day. And it's like, uh, really, <laughs> that's not, that's not what I was uh, led to believe. That's not what I heard. Uh, yeah. That's not what I've led to believe here. And, and now you can, fans can see for themselves, you know, when, when we write about it and talk about, yes, the program is getting more talent. They are they're increasing, you know, their size and athleticism. You can kind of go see it for yourself, and uh and then you know make your judgments of who you think can can be an impact because you know this is a big year of uh, from a from a standpoint that w- we probably will see a lot of freshmen on the field this year. You only have eight or so seniors, so and you have more positions than eight that you gotta fill, and you know are the freshmen going to be good enough and talented enough to contribute and 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 play most of the year and um you know and that's that's a question that's yet to be answered. You know, there's a handful that, that I'm confident that are going to play. But beyond that, you know, how do they perform in practice? And then if they do get in the game, how do they perform then?
0: Well, that kind of moves us right into what we were going to be talking about today. And a lot of it is um, what what needs to be shown this spring or what needs to happen this – I'm sorry, not spring, preseason. Um, my brain got ahead of me there because I was going to make bring up the point that one of the last times you were talking about football was during the spring. And that was a very difficult time to really evaluate things, to look position by position sometimes, because there was a lot of guys who weren't here. There were guys who were sitting out because of injury, and there were other guys who just weren't part of the program yet. They were still finishing up their high school careers or or wherever they were at that time. Um, are there are there guys who are here for the first time that are going to be, you know, I know they've been here this summer, a lot of them already, but, you know, on the field in an in a organized public way for the first time who kind of leap out as like, you know, Pretty crucial guys here in the in the preseason.
1: Well, you you can look at um, you know you could start that conversation with your freshman receivers. You know, David Bell and Milton Wright and Mershon Rice and TJ Sheffield are the the four receivers in the freshman class. Now, based on what we were told, and this is from like Jamarcus Shepard, the receivers coach, and also Jeff Brom, these guys are supposed to start at the head of the class or the head of the line from the very first day. They're gonna see what they can do from the from the get go. Now, sometimes coaches say that and they're like, Well, we got some upperclassmen we want to we'll look at first. So they they backtrack. Yeah. So and that's happened a little bit. But I, I do think they are eager to see what can David Bell what David Bell can do against um college secondary guys, you know, veteran guys that are yeah. that are out there, and the same with everybody. And then it, to me, it's probably a, a good way to do it. Let's, you know, if we're counting on them to play this year, you know, I'm speaking as a coach here. If 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 Jeff Prom is counting on them to play this year, then he's got to know what he's got. And if he and if they show signs that they can't do it early, then it gives you a lot of time to figure out what's going to happen. But the receiver group is probably the number one thing. Well. the the one thing to watch i'm going to say the number one thing to me the offensive line is the number one thing to yeah watch, oh, we're going to talk about the offensive line yeah. <laughs> but that's not a that's, that's not a uh, an area where you're going to have true freshmen come in there and play right now uh because i believe your question was like first-year guys yeah that are this, in there, yeah who's right? yeah who, who so the, i mean you started the receivers fans. and then you can move to the running backs even though Tario fuller is going to be your number one running back. They're extremely thin at this position. They lost Evan Anderson in the offseason. He went back home after his mother passed away. Um, and you still don't, still don't have Richie Worship that I know of. Um, and whether they'll have Richie Worship this year still is a big question mark. But you, you brought in two, two freshmen, uh, Jawan uh, Hewitt from Nashville and King De- Derue from Texas, that are going to get a lot of looks in camp. Because you just, you know, two years ago in 2017, they needed every single running back on the roster yeah. because they kept getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Last year, you didn't need, and you didn't need anybody but Jones and 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 Knox. Right. Uh, so you just don't know, and they just don't have a lot of depth there, as I said. So those those are two guys that are going to get a look and see what uh, see what they can do. Um, the tight ends, you know, Garrett Miller, um, you know. He, they they might get some looks early. I mean, you have a really good one in my opinion in Bryson Hopkins, who, you know, if there was if they had if you could play with two balls during the course of <laughs> a, a game, then Hopkins would lead the nation in receiving. But you only have one football to play with, and that, usually that's going to Rondell Moore. Yeah, and <laughs> so um, I just think he's that good. I, I just don't think they use him enough. But what what are you going to do? You got to yeah. get the ball to Rondell Moore. No, uh, so, um, then the defensive side. Obviously, George Karloftis is a guy that started uh, the spring uh, with the the number one group. He'll start the fall with the number one group. I would expect him to be there. And then they've got some defensive linemen that are going to rotate through there. You know, one would be him, Stephen Fasheau, and um, you know Dante Hunter, so probably a defensive end. You know, linebackers. Uh, they're they're they they are they do not have a lot of depth at linebacker, but. Um, I, I don't, I'm not sure a freshman is going to be able to to get in there right now and, and do anything. And then at the, uh, in the secondary, you already have Jalen Graham here from the spring. He would probably be your starting nickel when you went to that formation. And then uh, Marvin Grant is, a, is another safety that I think will get some early playing time. So, you know, there, there's going to be a handful of positions where the freshmen are going to get a, a long look and an opportunity to uh, uh, to to get some early playing time.
0: So at Big Ten Media Day, a lot of coaches will talk, as you say, they'll say, "Well, we got some freshmen who are going to be in the mix." But um, Jeff Brom went out of his way to single out Bell as he may even start for us, and and I thought that was that said a lot that he was saying that early on. He's already and hadn't been here in the spring and has already impressed to the point or either based on what they've seen from him on campus this summer or just based on what they know of him as an athlete coming in, that they see that impact right away. Do you kind of read that the same way that, that, that he, in every way, it seems like he's really been anointed as, as a guy that can, they're expecting big production from as a freshman?
1: There are a, a couple positions on the football field where starting makes absolutely no difference that yeah receivers one that's of a good point yeah. rondell didn't start the first game last year right but i think he did pretty well in that first game yes <laughs> regardless of if you start or not you're going to play david bell may start it may be just you know, a, you know something that they do mm-hmm. or he may not start it just i don't know and i don't know if it matters at that position he's a guy that's going to play and he will get on the field one way or the other uh I will be curious now that they have this group of wide receivers what their first play looks like at in Reno Nevada coming up on August 30th yeah. who's on the field what do they do all that kind of stuff. Uh but David Bell's going to play. I think they know what they have with David Bell. Um and it's just a matter of what he does in camp solidifies what they what they think of him and what role he can play this year. Um, he'll have you know he'll have great days and he'll have he'll have, he'll have a subpar day just just the, it's just the way it's going to be but you know Rondell Moore was not perfect perfect right. in, in every step of the way in right. camp last year uh, but you could tell you know he stood out he separated himself from other guys on the field not just running routes but just the way he conducted himself and I would I would assume David Bell would would stand out. As a guy, it's like, oh, okay, I could see that guy playing on Sundays. Uh, and Purdue has a few more guys that you can you can say that about, and that's what they need to do to increase the talent. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I starting is nice, but you know that's a position where I just don't think that's really that important. And I'm I'd have to go back and look to see how many games actually Rondell did start last year. I mean, he started most of them, but a lot of it is dictated on formations right. and stuff like defensively. You know, you may start nickel every game, so you're only starting two linebackers. Right. Um, It's a nice stat to have, and and, you know, quarterback starts are to me more important because you know he's he's the guy. But um, they may not have any running backs to start the game because they may not be comfortable with any of them as we get going. So it's a it's a it's it's kind of it's not like basketball, okay, where we got to start it. Got a starting five every game, and you're pretty comfortable with that. It's yeah. it's going to vary from from game to game.
0: I think quarterback starts and offensive line starts yeah. maybe the two positions where that makes the most difference, and that's the two positions I was going to kind of steer this conversation towards. You know, the last two years, both years under Brom. At this time of year, there's a lot of speculation about which of these two quarterbacks is the guy in the lead. How much is the other guy going to play? Well, David Blau's gone now. This is Elijah Sindelar's team. It's his job. He's starting the year as the clear-cut number one. However, I I think there's room for even more speculation about the quarterback situation this year simply because the combination of his injury history and the lack of experience at whoever emerges or is or whatever the number two guy on that list, whether that's uh, Nick Sype, whether that's Jack Plummer, whether that's um, Paul Ferry. Like, I— Someone else has to really step up over the course of these this next month until the season starts, I think, and establish themselves as a legitimate second option. But there's only so much you can do to do that without having the actual game experience that none of those guys really have.
1: You must have been eavesdropping on my interview with Jeff Prom at Big Ten Media Day because <laughs> I asked him a similar question. In your first two years, you you made sure that the number two quarterback, whoever that was going to be, you know, you got him into the game, you got him some reps, just on the off chance that your starter was ineffective or got hurt, that they would have some game reps. So I asked him a similar question. Would you get Plummer? Would you design a plan for Plummer to get some reps in games just so he has that game experience? Well, the the short answer was no. (laughs) He'd get enough reps in practice. And Plummer will be Plummer is the number two and will be the number two. Yeah. He'll be the guy that will um that would come in if something happened to Sindelar or they just or they need to change a pace or whatever.
0: But that does seem to me to be a difference in how he looks at all of these various guys. Before he came in with two guys who could legitimately have been the, the number one quarterback and barring injury or barring throwing three interceptions in the first <laughs> half could st- play every snap of the season if you right. need him to. And I don't think they're that comfortable beyond their first guy right now that they would win necessarily with that second guy. Or or until it gets proven it's hard to have that kind of Well, offense. I
1: I, um, I they're they're going to go with Sindelar from the beginning. Right. Now, Jeff was asked the question, "Well, what what if the same thing happens again where Sindelar throws three interceptions in the first half of your opener?" you're going to have a quick trigger. And Jeff admitted he always has a has a quick trigger or a quick hook in these situations. But he said, well, I choose not to look at it like you'll have three interceptions in the <laughs> right. first half. I won't have to make that decision. But right. it won't I mean, it will be perfect for Sindelar in the opener. It won't be perfect throughout the season. He's going to have bad moments. I mean, when you look back at his Purdue playing career, he has played his best when he's not been healthy. Yeah, his, when he had his ACL tear, um, he played his best. He's, he has played his best stretch of football. Uh, you look at that, you know, a number of ways. You know, he's and there's X factors who yeah. they're playing those
0: weeks, whatever. Right,
1: but he that three and a half game stretch, he was pretty darn good. Yeah. Um, and got him to, to a bowl game. To the point that's and, why he was the starter going into last year. And he got, well, and he had a good camp last year, right, too. Right. Uh, but he got him to a bowl game and he got, he got to helped him get up the win in the bowl game. Um, so there's a lot of things to like about Sindelar with his arm and his pocket presence and all that kind of stuff. But he is, he hasn't held up physically during his career. Things have happened. Last year he has an upper body injury that took him out of the uh, Missouri game and David Blau goes out, throws for a school record, passing, passing yardage in a game. Um, so, uh, again, there's a lot to like about Sindelar. I think they're comfortable with him being the quarterback. They feel they can stretch the field with him uh, and get, you know, get the ball out of, out, of their hand, out of his hands quicker and to the receivers and letting them, uh, letting them do their, their, their thing. Uh, but the question will be if he has to come out of the game how does Jack Plummer perform? And he hasn't done it. He hasn't been in a game. At some point this year, he will probably be thrust into action. Jeff Brom thinks the practice reps that he'll get, and I would I would imagine that Cindelar will probably be scaled back a little bit during camp, where he won't take every snap with the number one offense. That you'll you'll probably see Plummer getting his fair share of snaps with the number one offense, just to keep. Cindelar healthy, you know, not put as much wear on the tires so to speak because Brom is always says this and he's not the only coach, you got to make sure your best players get to the first game healthy. And they're just going to manage manage their pitch counts or whatever you want to yeah. phrase it with a lot of their players including including Cindelar.
0: What is your read on how healthy he is right now because obviously even in the spring he had some some he hyperextended in-
1: his knee in the spring and knocked him out the last 10 days, I think my read is he's fine. He could have practiced. He could have, you know, could have played. This is what they tell us. And, um, I guess you take him at, take him at face value. Um, but if it was the fall that he probably would have played, um, but yeah, until, until he, uh, until you get out there and see him again, uh, in live situations when, you know, George Koloftis is running after him or somebody else is running after him. And, see how he reacts is you're not you're not going to know so uh as of right now you know last time I talked to him he said he was fine and he was good to go and um ready to to lead this offense well with
0: a quarterback who's had his injury issues over the years um you would seem more paramount to protect him well with an offensive line and as you alluded to before we've talked about the rest of the offense except for what is the biggest question mark right now which is this offensive line and I'm they've probably heard that I doubt they listen to this podcast, but I'm sure they've heard that in a thousand different ways. And it's probably something I would imagine that's motivating this group a little bit right now. But it remains to be seen what a lot of these guys do once they get on a field. And there's some guys here who you would count on, um, Grant Hermans, um, guys who are the ones that you think should be leading this group. They're the more established guys right here, they have had their own injury issues and have missed a lot of time over the years how much as you're kind of looking at this season or I guess I can just answer myself as I look at this season I kind of think the difference between Purdue achieving its potential this year and some of that's still maybe unseen what that potential will be but I think it's pretty good potential because there's a lot of other talent here but whether or not they achieve that potential may depend on how much of a problem the offensive line ends up being or not being.
1: Well, if anybody has read any of my preview stuff or anything since the end of last season, just think of every time I talk about or say or write about what the season can be, there's an asterisk right there. Exactly. Yeah. A big old asterisk staring you right in the face. And yeah. it's all qualified by how does the offensive line perform, especially the three guys up the middle, because they're all gonna be new. Now, there there could be some shifting. The the, the bottom, you know, it's like the shell game. Well, you may move McCann into guard, but then you got a new right tackle, so you're gonna, right. you' got know, the bottom line is you're going to have three new starters on the right. offensive line right and they're going to be young guys these are not these are not older guys you, they didn't get a graduate transfer, which they needed to get, and they didn't uh to to really help them along but now you're what's on the roster is what you have is what you have to go with and until Till we see these guys perform in practice, but not really until we see them perform in a game. Are you are you really going to accurately be able to judge how, what this team can do? Is this to me? It's the difference between being a, a five or six win team and potentially a seven or eight win team. Yeah, because um, you know every you know, every team under schedule knows where their weakness is. It's Right up the middle, you got a new center and you got two new guards right now, yeah. and they're going to be tested early and often and then late and often <laughs> so they're just going to be continue to be tested that you have to you know you're a baseball guy, you got to be strong up the middle, and right now we don't know if Purdue's going to be strong up the middle. that affects the passing game as far as Sinlar being able to stay in the pocket and let the let the receivers run their routes. he's not as mobile as Blau. So that's a concern, but also with your running game, being able to, to get yards in the middle of the field or uh, from the middle of the line. Uh, you know, how does, how does Purdue's running game yeah. work? Is it all going to be jet sweeps? Is it all going to be outside the tackles? Is it going to be, you know, just something that non-traditional that you haven't seen? I'm confident that this group, this coaches, group of coaches, can scheme the way around some of this stuff
0: yeah i think i was about to say i think this yeah. is where the creativity that brahm has shown over the years. right but the
1: eventually the other teams catch up to that yeah and at they some point too. yeah they do practice old high school coach told me that one time <laughs> many years ago you know the other team does practice and watch film and if they don't that's their own fault right uh but at some point the opponent catches up to that they know what you're doing they they've they've covered all your tricks, There's only, and, and there's only so much you can do. You can only hide it for so long. Now, if, if they get in a situation where, you know, if Dick, if Victor Beach turns out to be equal to Kurt Barron and the guard play, whoever that may be, you know, Mark Stickford, Jimmy McKenna, um, you know, wh- whoever else, they come in and they're serviceable and there's not a, a drop-off from last year's performance, then I think this team, this offense can really – Catch another gear, but if there is a drop off, and Cindelar's running for his life, and they can't effectively run the ball up the middle, then you know they're going to have some struggles. That's going to put more pressure on your offense. It, you know, maybe Brom just goes air Brom at that point, and we see ninety passes in a game from the shotgun, and a game lasts five and a half hours, and then you're putting more pressure on your defense to keep <laughs> the team out of the end zone. So, yeah, there's a whole host of, uh, of trickle down effects that can happen when when, you, when you're when you not as solid up front as you need to be.
0: Look, I, this is a team that will move. If they did that, if they went back and just full shotgun like you're playing a video game and you're just chucking it, they'll move the ball and they'll put points up. But as we've seen, and other teams have run into this, at some point you're, you're going to face an opponent that knows you have to run the ball in a short-yarded situation. And we were talking about this the other day. And I'm not talking about fourth and goal from the half-yard line in some kind of movie um scenario to win it all i'm talking about you've got the ball at your own 38 with four minutes left and you've got to convert this third and two to keep the clock running and we've seen teams whose inability to do that has been a thing that's pulled their season down Um, or maybe just cost you one game but you're also we're also at a juncture with this program where one game can be kind of a big difference this year i think seven and five looks very different than if this team goes six and six again Or even eight and four looks very different than seven and five. Those are one game really changes a narrative of a season at this point, at this juncture for this program. Well,
1: when you look, when you start looking down the road, as far as the Big Ten West is concerned, with six teams, basically you throw a blanket over them, and then just pick one that might win the West. The one game is the difference between finishing maybe tied for first, and then you're tied for fourth. Just because I think that division is going to be so close. So, you know, the example that I brought up when we were talking about this the other day was the Nebraska game two years ago. Nebraska had no timeouts or was going to be out of timeouts. And Purdue had a third and short. All they do was get a first down and they would have won the game. Well, they didn't get a first down. They had the punt. And Nebraska came down in a two-minute drill and won the game on basically the last play of the game. Uh, because Purdue's defense could not keep them in the field of play. But if you get that first down, you know, game's over. And they're going to be faced with that situation again. And can your offensive line get enough of a push in that situation uh, to get it done? Uh, and to me, I, I just think you, you need to watch the offensive line as much as possible, especially when they start playing games. Um, you know, the TCU defense they're going to face is <laughs> – going to be good yeah <laughs> put it that way yeah they're going to be really good they're going to be really good up front I would and right they're now, going to win a lot of one-on-one battles with a lot of teams across the country yeah and they probably will win a lot of one one-on-one battles here that night but you're facing teams like that Minnesota got after them really hard last year and Purdue kind of just uh, wilted Um and then you know your traditional powers in the west Iowa Wisconsin Northwestern I mean, Northwestern's kind of physically beat them up over the years, the last decade or so. And, uh, you know, Iowa's solid. I mean, you just go right down the list. You've got to be st- – Purdue has to get strong – has to get better up front. They have to recruit better up front. And to me, that is going to be the difference. This is more of a big picture thing. But that to me, it's, it's going to be the difference of how they recruit the offensive line and how they develop the offensive line whether this program consistently challenges for a Big West title. Jeff Baum can go out and get a receiver anytime he wants. Yep. He got one the other day. Got one the other day. Yeah, some fast kid from Illinois who can, who's going to be the next Rondell Moore. Ironically, his last name is Moore. <laughs> I uh, think he's going to be the track <laughs> version of Moore, from what I've heard too. Maybe he's a he's a speedster, but he's also he he's he's, he's, he's playing he's, football he, for a reason. He's a football player too. Yeah, uh, he's just not a track guy. But my point is that you can go out and probably get a quarterback. You can go out and get a running back. You can go out and get a receiver. There's more of them, granted. But how this coaching staff and how this How these coaches develop the offensive line this year and in the future will determine whether they are a serious Big Ten West contender.
0: Because when you look at the teams that are in the West that they have to get through, the ones that they're going to have to climb over, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, these are names that are synonymous with offensive line talent. I think you found pretty – I mean, Iowa might be third on that list, but historically those are places that know how to go find – Big guys to get up front, and but move it's not guys only around. the
1: offensive line. These other teams have really good defensive yeah, exactly. lines. Oh well, yeah, that too. Yeah, that, fair point. That are <laughs> penetrating your offensive line. Fair point. And you've got—I mean—you've got to be strong up front. It, it, An offensive line is not going to be a strength position for this Purdue program. It never has been, but—and that's where you—you you, you do fill holes with grad transfers and other other areas, but you know you when you walk into a year you can't have this many question marks now we are still in year 3 at brom so you don't lay it all right there there's there's a lot of work that had to be done even to get to this point and there's still more work to do that is not his fault but he's in charge of the program now but you can't moving forward you can't you can't have these kind of question marks on your offensive line in my opinion um unless you graduated five guys and they all got drafted in the NFL. yeah, <laughs> then it's, I'll give you a pass then. But by that point, you've developed some sort of pipeline where guys have been in your program for a couple of years, they've been in the strength and conditioning program, they're ready to step in and play. So that's, that's a big picture thing of what happen, has to happen on the offensive line. Uh, and whether it, it actually ever happens at Purdue, probably not. Again, you can't, you know, three starters is way too many for this program to, to have at maybe not at this point, but as you look down the road. Moving over to
0: the other side of the ball, unless you have anything else no, you want to I address don't. on offense, I think we've covered offense pretty well. The other, the only one being running back, and like you said, there's a lot of question marks there too, just as far as who will fill out the depth there. But um, that's also an area where I think they could also be, maybe be creative on offense and move some oh, guys around. I wouldn't and, be
1: surprised to see Rondell Moore. Um, Actually, one bold prediction would be Rondell Moore leads the team in either rushing attempts or rushing yards.
0: Rushing yards, I think, has, it is, maybe makes more sense than attempts. But, um, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Just because you have a – again, Tario Fuller has a history of injuries. Yes. He started off really well two years ago, 2017. He's a different kind of back. He's a big back. He's athletic. He can, I, th- I think he can catch the ball. And he could do some different things. But, you know, he had a foot injury, which, which knocked him out. And another guy I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up in the backfield a little bit more it might be a guy like Jackson Anthrop.
0: That was the other one I was thinking yeah. of,
1: yeah. Uh, so I would look for some of the slot receivers maybe to get involved in the in the running game, whether it be directly in the backfield or through other means. There's way to, there, there are ways to compensate uh, not having as many running backs as you probably need at this point.
0: Again, shifting over to defense – Um, This was another area when we were talking about it back in the spring, what was going to happen up front was a big topic of conversation, not concern, but and partially because you had someone like Kalaftis coming in, and he was on campus this spring and was participating, but you didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But he obviously impressed there. Like you said, it seems like he's going to be a factor from day one. Are you starting to, or do you get the impression just from being around that program that some of what they hope to see is starting to come together up front.
1: Yeah, I I think your starters up front are going to be Karloftis at one end, Derek uh, Barnes would be the Leo, the hybrid defensive end linebacker, and then your two starting tackles would be Lorenzo Neal and Anthony Watts. Now, you probably won't see a whole lot of Lorenzo Neal in training camp because he's coming off the ACL injury. They're going to manage him. He may be there one day and he may not be there the next day but again it's all about getting him to yeah. the first game saying he's wa- going
0: to start no matter what happens right. so why yeah.
1: you know, they're not going to they're not going to overdo it with him um and then Anthony Watts I'm not sure what procedure he had in the off season but Jeff said he had something but he should be ready to go for camp but when you once you get past Lorenzo Neal um you just you're dealing with a lot of guys some you know they're all basically equal ability. Now, they have more depth than what they had last year. You know, as you remember the bowl game, they just didn't have anybody. You know, Lorenzo Neal was out. Um, they had lost another player. They just didn't have any depth, and they just could not stand up to, to what Auburn was doing to them. Uh, I think they have more options this year. They have more guys that have played with, you know, you're looking at Giovanni Rivera. You're looking at Jeff Marks uh, rotating in there. And then there's some, you know, as I mentioned before, Stephen Fischow. big freshman kid, you know, curious what he does, what he can do up the middle there. I do think they'll get more pressure um, than last year, which would not be hard to do, by the way. Um, So, you know, I think you'll see a little bit more pressure. You'll see a little bit more athletic ability. I think George has the physical size and the strength to win some one-on-one matchups. Um And if he can be an impact, then, you know, then, okay, well, the offensive line has to pay attention to him a little bit more then that frees up somebody else to do something. You know, the curious question is, can George Karloftis have a Rondell Moore-type impact from the defensive end position? It's not an apples-to-apples thing. Right. It's, you know, the numbers, you can't do numbers by it. But – to me, if he can have an impact, and the impact is if the other team has to pay attention to him mm-hmm. with double teams and other things, if he has that kind of impact, then you know I think the defensive line uh, will obviously take a big step forward. And you still got Lorenzo Neal, who who who, who, can, who who's a man sometimes in there amongst some boys, yeah. Um, and that just allows your linebackers to to make a lot of plays. If you if you remember back to uh, the first year, 2017, you know Jalen Robinson and Eddie Wilson in that group really controlled not every game and not every snap, but when they controlled the line of scrimmage, Bentley, Bailey, TJ McCollum, yeah, those linebackers were were everywhere, cleaning, unaware, up. cleaning yeah. up everything, yeah. and that's what that's what you want to do. And the the bottom line for the defense is they've got to create pressure without blitzing they will be blitzing, Nicole's gonna do it, but you gotta be able to do it without blitzing. And that's where a guy like Karloftis and Lorenzo and Anthony Watts and some of that depth has to really step up and be and be consistent. Yeah,
0: you know, that's I think every indication that that's the player that they think Karloftis is gonna be and the player he can develop into being. Whether he gets there this year, you're right, is 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 the big question mark. But really it, it is all about what you force that other team to do. And you can see situations where right now teams don't really have to double team anyone, maybe Neil, I guess in in cases. Um, but that's the other reason why I think his health. You know, they've got to manage his health, but they also have to have him ready to be an impact player from day one. He, he needs to be whatever has to happen still in the preseason camp to get him fully rehabbed or, or whatever and ready to go from day one. Because it seems like that combination, it can't be. Either, it can't be just one of those two guys. It's got to be a tandem that makes that whole
1: group. Well, they really need somebody in the second team, second tier to. Be a consistent player for him. You need a Giovanni Rivera, Jeff Marks, somebody like that just to, you know, come in and be able to play more than one series or two series. You know, Lorenzo was playing 70, 80 snaps in a game. He was effective, but they want him 50. And I think he can be more effective that way. But you've got to be able to uh, um, have people, (coughs) excuse me, step in and play and be effective.
0: You wrote a little bit about the linebackers and how this uh, just how this group is going to fit in, and it still seems like this was, you know, last year was a lot of fresh faces there, and now they get their chance to step up and be more of the veteran unit that gets to kind of lead these a little bit.
1: Yeah, Bailey's back, and uh, he should be ready to go. You, you, you've added Ben Holt, um, you know, Nick's son, who knows the defense, uh, has played for his dad before. Uh, he probably won't be out there the first day. He tweaked his knee, I think. Uh, maybe 10 days ago, 10 days ago, and may not be out there for the very first practice, but eventually will be there. Um, then you've got guys like Cornell Jones and Jalen Alexander and Jack Smith, who did get uh, playing time last year. You know, Cornell Cornell's the guy that is athletic, plays, plays fast. He's got to play smart, smarter, I should say. And when he finishes off plays, so, he, he can be a, a good factor for him. But, um, you know, it just depends what kind of alignment they're in. You know, I would expect to see Bailey and Holt on the field a whole lot. Uh, and then, when especially when you're in the nickel nickel defense, uh, but then Cornell Jones would be in there as well. But this is a group that has to that has playmaking ability. Um, you know, the one thing that impressed me about Ben Holt, he's not very tall. Uh, he's not a big kid, but he finished with 100, over 100 some odd tackles last year. But it was like. Forty more than the next guy on his team, hmm. which it's like, okay, did you make every single play out there or what? Uh, so he's a guy that's around the ball, has a knack for the ball, and that that should be beneficial to to this defense. And
0: and just uh, you know, secondary wise, uh, another group that um, has been kind of, I think, building, you know, the mix of of. The young guys that they brought in now get to be veterans, and but but you've seen this kind of culminating through recruiting too—the kind of athlete they were going to try to get—and this seems to be maybe a year where that plan maybe makes its biggest impact, just because it's it's mostly guys that this staff has brought in.
1: You do still have some veteran guys back there with um, Navon Mosley. Um, you know, Kenneth Major is probably going to be one corner. They moved Navon or uh, Simeon Smiley to a corner position in the spring. I think that fits him more. He did come in to the program as a freshman at cornerback. He just, he gives them more length on the outside, on the perimeter. I think he matches up better with uh, some of the bigger receivers that they they see during the Big Ten season. So I think that's a positive for them. You know, Corey Trice is a big guy, 6'3", looks extremely intimidating, but – you know his knowledge of what to do and when to do it still is a question mark with me. Um, he's got to be able to to know uh, know what to do and can't have lapses uh, in, in the back half because you know you're on an island back there. Uh, and then Jalen Graham, who we talked about a little bit, I think will be a factor in the in the secondary somewhere. And then I think Marvin Grant as well. I think he's good enough um, to to play to play this year. And give them uh, give them some 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 hard hitting some run support, but they need someone to replace Jake Thieneman and not Jake Theineman physical talent per se, but more of making sure everybody's lined up. So who who's going to be the quarterback of the yeah. of the safety? It would would see Mosley would have uh, would have the experience to do that, but you know until we get out there and see it, we don't know. Well,
0: that all starts Thursday at jconline.com. Follow him at Carmen underscore JC. Follow me, usually not for football reasons, but I'll pitch him every once in a while, add in Baird JC. And uh, we'll be back with you next week, probably talking about uh, some of these storylines as they continue to develop as we get closer to that Friday, August 30th season opener in Reno, Nevada. So thanks a lot. Uh, follow us on uh, Boilers Extra. Follow us, uh, subscribe, download, Uh, send us feedback, rate us. Uh, We want to hear from you. Thanks a lot.